So to uh, bring you a little bit behind the scenes, when we prepare for services, we don't usually coordinate the songs, what Janice is going to say, uh, with the message. And it's somewhat of a spiritual game that we play because we really want to make sure that it's only God speaking. This week was a little bit different. And we chose those last two songs that we sang, Simple Gospel and Nothing Else, because God has been very clear to us this week that we need to strip away the constructs of church as we know it. Obviously, that's why God stripped us from these gathering moments right now. Because what you need in isolation, what you need in your living room right now is God. You need His presence. You need to return to that devotion of, I just want God. Because if you get God, you have everything. If you get God, everything that He has comes with it. He says, seek first the kingdom and I will add all these things to you. We want you to meet with God. So I want to pray before I go into my message that that's what happens right now, that you meet with God and that you hear directly from Him. So pray with me. Father, you see every one of your children, wherever they are right now, however they are watching this, whatever posture they are in, whatever feeling or thought they have towards you. And you know exactly what they need. And so take this bread, this word, and multiply it. Multiply it for the many needs that exist right now in this city, in our church, in the lives of everyone that is watching this. Multiply this bread and let it feed and let it fill everyone who hears this. I just offer this to you. May your presence Join it with your power to change lives. Praise in Christ's name. Amen. Over this last week, I've just been thinking about the challenge of staying true to following God. I've been thinking about that challenge not just in light of this crisis. It has brought its own challenges in terms of the highs and lows of every day and the longevity of every week and how exhausting this quarantine feels and how we just want it to end. That has its own challenges. But you and I know that encountering God and seeking to follow Him in every part of your life is difficult. When we talk about this idea of being courageous... What we want you to experience is what Elisha experienced, an ability to believe that the power of God is greater than any power that you face, that God's presence can be near to you even when you don't physically see it with your eyes, and that all you need to do is pray and call upon Him and that God will meet with you. We've been in this Courageous Sermon series and the only thing that I believe that will allow you to sustain courage for the things that you and I are called to as individuals and as a church is this encounter with a supernatural God that is able to influence the natural and invade the natural in ways that you and I could not do. Over the course of this week, I've just been reminded that 
our tendency is to, pit, to depend on the natural until it is not enough. And then it's easy for us to run to the supernatural because we need it. The problem is that you and I need to be on this space regularly where we see the natural is never enough. God didn't want us just to live with our natural talents and abilities. He wanted us to live in the supernatural reality of this world. That God is in charge and God sees it all and he is over it all. And that's usually how we start with God. You and I, in our journey of following God, it begins because we've been exposed to the truths of Christianity, the truths about who Jesus is. And we have this encounter, either with a message and our mind and our heart just says, that's true, I believe it. Or an actual encounter with God where we hear his voice speak to us. And then what tends to happen is that we wrap that relationship in new religious behavior and new religious ideologies. And religion begins to impede upon this radical relationship we used to have. And so the debates around who Jesus is, the debates around um, how God works in certain people's lives and how he doesn't work in others begin to fill our heads and our minds, which are meant to love God, begin to get confused and distracted from him. And so an intellectual faith begins to replace this experience of relationship with God. Or emotions begin to play and our feelings begin to rise or fall and then we relate to God based on how we feel rather than on the facts of who he is. And so religion begins to replace God. And what I am hopeful for in this message today is just to call you back. Just to call you back to the fact that you and I are in a supernatural reality. We're not just in this physical two-dimensional way. We are experiencing God, that that's what we were made for. Because that's the power that's in this passage. And it's the power that is the overwhelming message of the scripture is that the supernatural God has chosen to interact with you. He's chosen to come and to act on your behalf. See, in this passage, the best, the best part of this is when Elisha looks to his servant and says, do not be afraid, for the power with us is greater than the power that's with them. And what he is speaking to is not that the king of Israel is on his way because God has spoken to him again to know where the Syrian army is going to be, and so he's prepared for it. No. What he's speaking to is that there is a God that you and I can't always see. And he has an army of angels ready to act on your behalf in the battles that you're facing. This is what we've been talking about. You don't fight alone. In fact, you have a powerful God that is fighting stronger and better than you are. And so that's my hope for you to be strong and to be courageous is that you would step into the supernatural risk. The supernatural risk. And what I mean by that is that you would take the risk of believing, like Elisha, that the army of angels is ready to fight on your behalf. That you would take that risk, like Elisha, to say the battle is spiritual as much as it is physical. And that you would begin to see the spiritual invade the physical and transform it and change lives. That's the only thing that can sustain our courage because we are called to a spiritual awakening that has physical impact. 
We are called and commissioned to embrace the message and the mercy and the power of God in such a way that we invade the streets of our city with the love of God so that we see healing, so that we see lives radically reunited and reconciled. We see justice reign where it has only been held captive by oppressive systems. That's what happens when spiritual awakening comes. It's not just that you have an individual private experience. It's that you carry with yourself the power of the kingdom of God in such a way that his kingdom begins to reign everywhere you walk. That all of your battles get defeated so you can fight battles for others. And I really want to just look at two ideas from this passage that are going to help you and I transition from this struggle of living only in the natural to walk with courageousness into the supernatural risk. And those two ideas are sight and faith. Sight and faith. With sight, I want to ask you the question, what do you see? Do you only see what's physically in front of you? Or do you see the reality of God? And with faith, I'm just going to be asking you, who do you trust? Who do you trust to fight your battles? Do you merely trust in yourself? Do you trust in others? Or do you trust in the God of the universe and his army of angels to come and fight on your behalf? But let's start with sight. Because that is the difference between Elisha and his servant. It's what they see. They see dramatically different things. Because Elisha's servant goes and he sees the vast army of Syria ready to fight against them. And his response is, alas, my master. Which when you translate it just says, oh no. Um, That's the PG version because we're on YouTube. Um, Because he sees that and he's shocked by it. But you get the sense that Elisha walks up next to him and that's not what he sees. He doesn't see the obstacle in front of him. He doesn't see the army formed against him. He doesn't see the battle as overwhelming or dangerous or distracting him. He sees God and the army of angels able to come and invade in a moment. What do you see? What do you see in the battles that you're facing right now? Do you see just disease, whether it's COVID-19 and its effects? Or the disease that has plagued you repeatedly that comes back as a cycle? What do you see? Do you see the disappointments of what you have lost in this life during this moment? Do you see the disappointments of what you long to actually be reality that's not right now? What do you see? And what would it look like to transition from this sight that is blinding you from reality to a sight that is revealing to you reality? Because that's the invitation, is that you would see God. Now, what do I mean by that? Because what do we need to see? Do we need to see an army of angels lined up, ready to fight? I'll be honest with you, I want to see that. I want to see the angels of God come in, ready to fight. But if that was the case, if that was the case, for us, that God required for us to see angels, we, we would all the time. But these seem to be rare occurrences. 
He doesn't merely want us to see them with our physical eyes and and kind of contrast them with the reality that we normally take in. He wants us to see that the truths of who he says he is, the truths that he is with you wherever you go, the truth that he will never forsake you, the truth that every enemy or evil formed against you can be turned on its head to be for your good. He wants you to see that the truths that he says and the testimonies that he has declared over and over in the scriptures and in your life are not over, but they are present and they are real and they are now. That's what he wants you to see. And the way that you see that is very clear. It's prayer. It's prayer. That's what changes the situation, is that Elisha, a man of God who prays, sees differently. And Elisha prays that his servant would see different. Prayer changes their sight. Not merely changes their perspective, but what it does is it changes and helps them see their position. And that's what you and I need to see. And here's what I mean by that. Last night, um, my daughter and I, we were doing our third puzzle of quarantine. (laughs) Um, Please let quarantine end so the puzzling can also end. But we were doing this puzzle together and we were just having a conversation And she is brilliant and she is confident and she is bold enough to just have these beautiful conversations just at peace but seeking understanding. And she just asks me some questions about why we, as her parents, decide that it is good for her to do certain things even if she doesn't want to. The conversation that you and I have had with our parents and they had with their parents, the generational struggle, right? of your parents asking you to do something and you don't really see why. And so I said to her, well, do you think that um, you or I know better what your life is going to be like at 20? Do you think you know what it's going to be like? And confidently she said, yes, I'll be in college and I'll have a dog. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I said, well, what about 25? She says, I know what it's going to be like 25. I know what I want to be. I'm like, all right, great. What about 30 or 35? And I'm only 37. What about 37? I said, do you think that I might have a better idea about what you are going to face in life at my age and what you are going to want and you are going to need? I didn't quite convince her. <laughs> but you and I get the idea that we need a reorientation of our position. Because when our position changes by prayer and we begin to see God as big, we recognize that our position is in a place of dependence on God to come through. And so this is what we need to change, is that our position gets changed. Because when the battles come, if we are battling with approval of man, people can feel big and God can feel small. And we can feel small. When the problems come, if our position is not right, they feel bigger than God. Or we have to make ourselves big. We, in our pride, have to say that I have to be enough. Because Elisha's servant, here's what he's thinking when the armies come. What's our plan of escape? How do I get out of this situation? Or how do we get the king of Israel and the other kings to come and defeat this strong army? He immediately would go into problem-solving mode. 
And when we move in prayer from our position of having to be the problem solver or the problems feeling too big to a position of our God is bigger than this moment, our God is bigger than this situation, it puts us in the right position. A position where we can receive and we can see straight. Where we can begin to see that God is ready to come through in every moment in every battle, in every situation and circumstance. We need our sight to change. That's the invitation. That's what happens with Elisha and his servant. So what do you see? And how have your prayers, or lack thereof, affected your sight? God is teaching me that all over again. I am naturally someone who runs to strategy and problem solving. It's, maybe it's my engineering background. Maybe it's just the habits I've developed over many years. That when a problem comes up, I want to run to fix it. When a challenge comes up that I have to face, I just want to strategize around it. And if I can't fix it immediately, I just want to ignore it and escape it because I feel like I'm supposed to be powerful enough to accomplish it and change it. But when I pray, but when I go to God and when I begin to submit it to Him, whether it's submitting my frustrations that I can't solve the problem, whether it's admitting that the problem is too big for me and I don't know exactly the path forward, there is a peace that comes. And you know that peace. If you have sat with God, you know the peace that comes in when you've been struggling about how to have kids or parent your kids and you turn to God. You know the peace that comes in when you're struggling to provide and make ends meet and find employment. You know that peace when you finally submit it to God in prayer. You know the supernatural joy that can come even in the midst of suffering when you turn to God. We know it but we have wrapped ourselves in these natural surroundings of circumstance to say, I don't need to go to the supernatural first. I will try the natural plans. And if those don't work out, well, I got God in my pocket (laughs) and I can bring his power up when I need it. I was thinking about that this week in regards to uh, masks because you know we're all supposed to wear masks right now. And let's just say sometimes I forget (laughs) my mask which makes me quite the villain on the street. Um, And I'm not trying to be. I believe in, I have a mask. Now I have multiple masks. And I know the value of wearing them because I know that there is power in that mask in terms of being, communicating care for other people. I know the power in that mask when it comes to even protecting myself. That's the entire intent by which this is kind of being communicated to us. It's not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue that I have not turned my attention to the right place before I go. That I don't call back to mind that I have been given something to help others. I have been given something that I'm supposed to do to help myself. You and I exist that way with the supernatural. We can wake up and run about our days and forget to ever turn. Just like Elisha's servant 
who saw Elisha perform miracle after miracle after miracle, we can see the miracles. We can read about it in the scriptures and they can have no effect on us because we've refused to open up our sight to allow us to see God as God, bigger, more worthy, more exalted than we ourselves ever need to be. That's the beauty of God coming to fight on our behalf is that the transcendent God of the universe has come to be with you and to be near you. And he says, turn to me. Turn to me. The question that kind of resounded in me over this, reading this passage, meditating on it, is what takes more courage? Is it Elisha's prayer or is it Elisha's servant looking back again? See, because he had looked and he had seen the fight. He'd seen the battle and he turned to Elisha to say, what do we need to do? And Elisha prayed and said, open up my servant's eyes. Now the servant didn't have to look back. He didn't have to look back at the army. He didn't have to look back at the battle. He could have just kept his eyes somewhere else in fear or anxiety, hoping that the miracle was coming through. And yet he looked back again. How many of you just need to look back again at the battle that you initially faced? How many of you need to take the courage after prayer to look again to the fight, to look again to the difficulty, to ask again for the healing, to ask again for the miracle, to ask again for the freedom over sin? What I love about this passage is how it ends, where it says the Syrian army... They didn't even try again. I want your sight to change so that you see God as more powerful and mighty so that the victory can come and you don't even have to face that battle again. That you can have it overcome. You can have that healing and it lasts. You can have that victory and it lasts. And the enemy doesn't even think he can come against you. Because you and I, we don't have a Syrian army and a vast array of people coming against us, but we have a spiritual enemy that is coming against us, a spiritual enemy of evil and darkness that is coming to whisper to us and tell us that God is not as powerful as we think he is. Yes, he's come through and told us things in the past, but he's done now and it's time for something else to overwhelm us. We allow for disease and disappointments and sin and temptation to come and feel bigger than God. He says, all you have to do is seek and turn to me. What are you looking at? It's time for you to look to God and let your sight change, but also to choose faith. And that's the second part, is faith. And I want to be clear about what I mean about faith. Because I want you to stop thinking of faith as an agreement to ideas. And start to think of it as an action on the ideas of God. Faith is not some assent to agreement. Faith is when you agree, acting on what you are agreeing to. One is a resignation. It's just a resigning to the facts. God exists. The scriptures say even the demons agree with that statement. Even they are resigned to the fact that Jesus is real and powerful. Resignation is not enough. 
It's that you realize the power and you are rewarded by the act of faith on that. That's how the scriptures speak of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and verse 6. It says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. It's agreement that God is real even if I don't see him in every moment of the day. But he says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It is a risk-reward proposition. That's what courage is all about. There is no courage if there is not risk. Even our current psychologists and main kind of philosophical speakers that we turn to right now agree with that. Brene Brown has a new Netflix special that is named called To Courage. And her whole idea is there is no experience of courage without risk and vulnerability and opening yourself up. Where did she get that idea? It started with faith. It is the idea of faith that you would take that risk, that you would take that risk and you would believe in the power of God to come through at any moment. And when it comes to risk, the question is, what is that risk? Because there is a spiritual risk, there's an emotional risk, but there's also a very physical risk. And is a risk-reward in either direction? Because you could take a risk on God and experience the rewards there, or you could take the risk of not depending on God and settling for whatever that might reward you with. But I am, want you to be clear, it is risk. And even in this passage, you see the first risk that Elisha takes is to pray instead of plan. That's a risk. Because it's very easy to see that there's a problem. And there can be this sense of there's a lot to do and too little time. And so I have to run into action. It's a risk for him to pray. It is a spiritual risk, but it's also an emotional risk. Because the second risk is to ask that the supernatural invades and affects the natural. That's a big risk, isn't it? Because you and I feel that as the riskiest move that we could take. Because we have it in our heads, what if nothing happens? What if in my sickness I pray and God doesn't heal? What if in my struggle against sin, I pray and I don't have strength? What if in my desire to see miracles, I ask and I don't see God come through? How do I respond to that, right? As I wrestle with how to respond to you, first, I just want to say this. That's a real question, and it must be wrestled with. Because if it is not wrestled with, I think we are running in kind of a foolish manner, manner and not a courageous manner. Because we must wrestle with the signs and the wonders and the miracles and the truths of the scripture and go, what if that doesn't happen to me in this moment? Because there's evidence in the scriptures that it doesn't always happen. But the other thing I want to say to that is how much have you forfeited by letting that question reign in your life? What rewards have you forfeited from God because you've only had the question, what if he doesn't come through this time? What if he doesn't 
perform that miracle? What if he doesn't heal? How many times have you and I forfeited the rewards because that question is too big and it's bigger than God? It is a real risk. But what is the reward? What is the reward if you take that risk and ask him? At a minimum, the scriptures say you get the pleasure of God on your life. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But with faith, you please him. At a minimum, just taking the risk of asking him to perform it, he says, my pleasure is on you. My delight is over you. I am pleased and delighted in you, bare minimum. And at a maximum, you get a phenomenal story to tell about the miracles of God coming through for you. But then there's this middle ground that gets confusing. Because you might take that risk and you might experience a nearness of God and feel like he's communicating his love for you, but you don't see the reward that you're asking for. You don't see him come through like you thought he promised. What then? That's hard. It's confusing. But the promise is that you get to draw near to him. And the scriptures say the nearness of God is your ultimate good. It's not just the gifts that you might get. It's not just the rewards that you might have. It's that God is near to you in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your difficulty. And then you keep asking and you keep knocking and you keep seeking in hopes that that God of miracles will come through for you again. It's worth the risk because the reward is phenomenal and it's what we need. I've seen it in this church You've been taking your risk with generosity and that has motivated the mercy and the ministry of God all over this city and all over the world. You've taken risks and prayers for healing and we've seen stories of healings. You've taken risk of asking God for miracle babies and some of you are celebrating your first Mother's Day as a result. You've taken the risk and it's time for us to re-up on that risk. Because you as individuals and we as a society need to have people that will take the supernatural risk to see the supernatural award come into this moment. And in Hebrews 11, it goes on to tell a number of stories about what happens when the people of God take that risk. And there's a part at the end that I love most in Hebrews 11, 32 to 39. After he's on a list of stories, he says, what more shall I say? For time would fail to be to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, I think, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth." of whom the world was not worthy. We need some new heroes right now because justice is not reigning 
this last week has reminded us of that. As we saw the national news cover the death of Ahmad Arbery, we're reminded that the evils of racism continue to reign not just between people but in the justice system. And so we need people that are going to take the supernatural risk to act on faith to renew justice so that it says like in the Hebrews 11 that justice gets enforced. We need people that are going to re-up the risk to pray for people to be healed so that we hear more and more stories of miracles of people being healed of COVID-19, healed of cancer, healed of all the pains that they face. We need people that are going to re-up that risk on the supernatural. To have sight that looks beyond the physical. To believe that the supernatural is ready to act in the natural. It is a real risk But the rewards are so great. The rewards are so great. And what we are in need of now is to be a people that say God is bigger than the problems we face and the people that disagree with us and all that wars against us, that he is ready to defeat that. And here's what's going to happen to you and I as we just take risk after risk of faith. The first risk that you have to take is just to believe that God is real and he rewards and believe in him and says he's Lord. The second is that you on an individual basis have to take the risk of believing that prayer is powerful and you consistently run to him, you consistently turn to him and you allow him to reshape your mind and your heart and change you. But private spirituality was never the intent of God. It was to be the engine of God to work in your life, to fuel you into powerful ways to transform people's lives. I want your sight to change because I want your faith to change. I want it to return to that beautiful reality that you believed in the mysteries and the power of God, to be freed from the trappings of religion that no longer allow you to love God with your mind but make you confused with God with your mind. To be freed from the trappings of emotions and feelings that cause you to engage with God when you're okay with it and want it and then disengage with God when you just aren't feeling it. But whatever you're facing, that you would see that God is powerful for that situation. He wants to come through and win your battles. The courage we need is to take the supernatural risks to see the supernatural reward. That's what you and I need That's what we have to walk in. That's who we are. Uh, People that get fixed on God and God alone, no matter the circumstances, no matter the surroundings. That's what I want to pray becomes more and more of our reality. So pray with me. Father, make us a people that truly see Make us a people of real faith. Faith that leads to action. Faith that is truly about risk because the rewards are greater than anything we can accomplish ourselves. So God, we want to walk in victory. We want to walk in strength. We want to take the risk. That's who we will be. We choose to follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.